Hey, I didn't say it when uh, Pastor Bob was up here, but if you would like, we would really appreciate, right, uh, when the service is over, right through that wall, right, there's a, a table with some places, with some cards where you can write thank you notes. If Pastor Bob has impacted your life, would you take five minutes after the service, write that down and drop it in the basket, and we're going to bundle all those and give those to him. <clears throat> i got a question for you, and it's this, it's uh, how do you stay organized? Now, I'm... I'm organized, but I'm not. I think I've tried virtually every organizational system that's available. Growing up, my parents had the day planner. Do you remember the day planner? This little thing you would carry around, you'd write down your appointments. and uh, I thought that's what you're supposed to do, so I got one, and the small one didn't work, and then I got the medium-sized one, and that didn't work, and then I got the larger-sized one that zips up, and that didn't work. Then later, a guy came out with this thing called Getting Things Done, which is really smart. I'm sure people smarter than me understand it, and I tried to understand it. It was kind of convoluted and complicated. And tried that. That didn't really work. And then when the Palm Pilot came out, do you remember the, some of you technologically uh, gifted people? You remember when that came out before the iPhone? When we, they convinced us that we could just take what we normally would write on a piece of paper that cost 98 cents and we could pay $198 and have this thing we could write the same thing down on the, and that's all it could do. Do you remember that? Remember that day? Like the precursor? I had one of those. I, I've gone now because I'm, I'm organized, but I'm not. And now I just write things down on a yellow notepad. I just wanted to go old school because I figured it worked. And, and so I just, I'm just sticking with that. What, but here's the point of all that. The point is that you, you need to know what it is that you need to do and you need to do it. You, you, you might say that having some way to organize yourself is about finding the right agenda. Now, I, I want to I set you free a, a little bit around this subject. But you do know that there is no right agenda from another human being toward you, right? You, you know this, right? You know that people try to put onto you their expectations and their agenda, but it's just that. It's just, it's an, an agenda. It's an agenda. Uh, organizations and schools and businesses, uh, they have agendas, but they're related to their purpose, and your work has an agenda, and the agenda is probably to make money. If it's a really good business, it's also to develop you as a person and serve the world in some way. The school system has an agenda to educate the next generation. But here's where this thing goes kind of wonky. It's that people take their agenda and they want you to have their agenda. And some teenager is listening to this and saying, yeah, that's right, mom. <laughs> and hang in there, mom. She'll get it at some point, right? But what I'm talking about is how people, people have a tendency to tell us what they think we should do what we ought to do and what we must do. Have you ever had someone should on you before? <laughs> the, the should, oughts, the must, those are, those are moral words. Those are things uh, about that we need and ought and must do. I, and they're fitting when we're thinking about moral categories, like we shouldn't take a human life. Or we ought to protect the innocent. Or we must protect the vulnerable. I mean, those are all, like, yeah, we, we should, ought, must to do those things. But here's how we debase the word and where we get into trouble, is we use those words in kind of flippant ways. And we say things like, hey, you should try my cheese dip. 
to which you have to, if you're really thinking about what people are saying when they say that, they're saying, they're saying that you're morally obligated to eat my cheese dip. So if I don't eat your cheese dip, I am committing some moral crime against humanity? Now, we're going to talk about this. We're going to delve into this in a series in February called Overwhelmed. But there's a human exchange that goes on that causes pain, and it's when you want to give me your agenda or vice versa. And here's what I've found that set me free. It's this. It's that only the creator of a thing can give me the agenda for that thing. Only the creator of something can tell me what I should do. Now, we talk every Sunday here about life. We talk about what's important in life. And only the creator, listen, only the creator of life can give you the agenda, the right agenda for your life. In other words, only God who breathed you into existence can tell you what you should do. Do you know what Jesus says God's agenda is, God's purpose in human history, God's plan for mankind, God's plan from all eternity. Here's what it is. We're going to talk about it today. It's the title of this message, and it's this, that God would have a full house. I want to invite you to stand to your feet. We're going to read the scripture. As you do, turn to your neighbor and say, good news, you're invited. Luke chapter 14, picking up from where we were last week, the words of Jesus. When one of those at the table with him heard this, now if you were here last week, we talked about how God uh, were, were to look for the wrong people. He said to Jesus, blessed is the one who will eat at the feast in the kingdom of God. And Jesus replied with a story. A certain man was preparing a great banquet and invited many guests. And at the time of the banquet, he sent his servant to tell those who had been invited, come, for everything is now ready. But they all alike began to make excuses. Now this is, just so you know, this is a sermon about other people. It's not about you. You don't make excuses. The first said, I have just bought a field and I must go see it. Please excuse me. And another said, I have just bought five yoke of oxen and I'm on my way to try them out. Please excuse me. Still another said, I just got married, so I can't come. And so the servant went back and reported them to, uh, this to his master. And the owner of the house became angry and ordered his servant, go out quickly into the streets and alleys of the town and bring in the poor, the crippled, the blind, the lame. Sir, the servant said, what you ordered has been done, but there is still room. Then the master told his servants, go out to the roads and country lanes and compel them to come in so that my house will be what? What's the word? Full. I tell you, not one of those who are invited will get a taste of my banquet. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you for standing. Now, this is one of Jesus' uh, parables, and the parables of Jesus were one of his main teaching devices. And it's a very clever uh, teaching device because what he does with the parable is he subverts our defense mechanisms and does an end run on how we think about life uh, so that we see things differently. We see ourselves differently. We see God differently. When I was a boy, I lived in Omaha, Nebraska. I spent my, uh, my elementary school years there. And in Nebraska, in addition to shucking corn or eating corn, the only thing really to do is to watch the Nebraska Cornhuskers play football. Now, when I was a kid, they were really good, and they won national championships, and they dominated college football. 
And on Saturdays, we, I would get together with my friends, and we would have the game on the radio, and we would reenact the plays, and we would imagine that we played for Nebraska football. And there was this one play they did this one time in a bowl game that won them the national championship, and they called it the Fumble Ruski. And the Fumble Ruski was the center would leave the ball on the field, and then that would act as a fumble, and someone would come along, pick it up, run it in for a touchdown. In essence, when Jesus tells parables, he's doing a fumble ruski on you and me. And he's doing an end run around our defense mechanisms. And if you want to understand what the point of the parables are, not always the case, but usually you can go to the very end of the parable and you'll discover the purpose and meaning uh, behind the parable, the point that Jesus is trying to make. And so if you were to read a little further on into Luke chapter 15, the story of the lost sheep and the lost coin and the two lost sons, you would find out at the end of the story, the point of those is to encourage us. Here in this parable, in Luke chapter 14, this is not a, a, a parable or a story of encouragement. It's a parable of warning. And the warning is this, is that you could miss out on God's agenda all while you think that you are an insider. I, I'm not talking to you. I'm talking to the guy next to you, okay? And so he tells this parable. He says God's agenda is a full house, and you could be at odds with that agenda. So he tells this, this story, uh, he finishes the parable from last week, and this man pipes up and says, hey, you're talking about having a seat at the table. Count me in, Jesus. And Jesus hijacks that with the parable, and he starts out and he says, there was a certain man preparing a great banquet who invited many guests. Now, in the parables, Jesus is always comparing the people in the parables to uh, people in life. And now, who is the certain man? Do you know who he's talking about? talking about God the Father, the first person of the Trinity. He's saying a certain man uh, was preparing a great banquet. Now we have to stop right here, because when you think about a banquet, you think about a special occasion where you might get a little dressed up, and you go to Avalon Manor, or you go to Doonland Falls, and there's white tablecloths, and uh, there's a nice chicken dish with some green beans, and some yummy coffee and cheesecake for dessert, and then you go home. That's a banquet. A banquet in that day was a spectacle and a show, and it was an opportunity for someone with wealth to show their status, to share their wealth, and it was a, 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 an all-come affair. Everybody in the town would be invited, and the, the owner of the house, the, the master of the house, would pull out all the stops and would do everything possible to have a spectacle and a show to show people his status and his generosity, and so it was this lavish, multiple-day affair, and so there would have been filet mignon and lobster and rack of lamb and duck and you just name all the delicious foods and it would go on for a number of days in some instances. When I was dating my wife, I realized that I needed a spectacle and a show to win her heart. And so what I did on my uh, non-existent budget is I scraped together some money. I borrowed a friend's little hibachi grill and I went to the local grocery store, and I got two filet mignons. I didn't know how to cook filet mignon, uh, but I knew that you put it on a grill, and you heated it on both sides, and then you ate it. And by the grace of God, it turned out wonderfully. And so I, I went, I got these filet mignons, and I got two prawns. Prawns are these huge shrimp, and I butterflied them, and I put butter on them. And then I went, and I got Eli's cheesecake, which I didn't know was from Chicago. Can I get a witness? And I got, I got all this stuff. And I took her to the local park, and I set it up on, with a nice tablecloth that I borrowed from a friend on the table at this local park, and I grilled the filet mignon perfectly. And the prawns were delicious. 
And through that spectacle and show, I am now married to that woman because of the spectacle and show that I demonstrated right there. I'd be glad for that, right? <laughs> now, here, here's what, if you don't understand what Jesus is saying by throwing this banquet, this spectacle and show, if you don't understand anything about the nature of God, what you need to understand is contrary to what a lot of people think, God is not a killjoy. God loves to throw a great party and expend himself lavishly on behalf of people. This is what Jesus is saying God's like. And he says that the, the certain man, that God the Father, the first person of the Trinity, invites many, meaning all. He invited everybody, and he sends his servant out, and he says, hey, the banquet is ready. And then a curious thing happens that shouldn't have happened. He says that, but they all alike began to make excuses. They begged off. You've done this. Hey, I, I, I can't come tonight. I've got a thing. Or if you're a girl and some guy asks you out on a date, you've done this, like, I have to wash my hair that night. I'm very sorry. <laughs> you've begged off, or you've had it done to you. Oh, I can't come tonight, my auntie. They all beg off from this spectacle and this show, from this lavish feast. doesn't make any sense as to why they would do that. But you need to understand what Jesus is doing with this parable to see why this is so important that we understand this. What Jesus is saying is that what you are doing right now is a reflection of what you think you will do in the future. He wants to know, does your current value system reflect heaven's value system? In other words, what you do right now is determined by how you important you think it will be then. So if you make excuses right now, don't trick yourself into thinking that you won't make excuses then. You will. Jesus says how we act right now is indicative of how we'll act then. Now, contrast this with us. Here's, here's how we are about ourselves. We're, we're hopeful about ourselves. We're aspirational. Uh, we believe that uh, we want to do God's agenda. Oh, I want to do what God wants. I, I'm absolutely for that. We believe that in the future we will do God's agenda. We think that at some point in our life we'll get around to God's agenda. We're hopeful. We're aspirational. We're probably more like delusional. <laughs> it, insert parable here about how the road to hell is paved with good intentions. So Jesus, in this story, gives three common excuses, and they are, these excuses are stand-ins for priorities that take us away from being about God's agenda. And when you hear them, you think these are all good things, and you think that Jesus needs to lighten up a little bit. But what's at work is a principle that Jesus is saying is always operative in your life, and this is the principle. I'll put it on the screen for you. What you th it's this. It, what you think is first determines what you worry about the most. In other words, what you think is the first priority determines what you worry about the most. So here's the first excuse. Uh, I just bought a field, and I have to go look at it. Now, in that day, like in our day, land equals wealth. I have a picture here of a commercial real estate. This is from a commercial real estate license, and you can see that bottom red square there that's for sale. If someone came to you and offered you this piece of property for a decent price, my guess is that you would do whatever you could to scrounge together the money to pay for that because you would see, like I see when I look at that, look at all the businesses around there, that's dollar signs. 
And you're, 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 you're distracted, Jesus says, often by your desire to earn and have money. In fact, the thing most likely to take us away from God's agenda, to focus our attention elsewhere, is money. One of the saddest things that I see happen when someone dies is they've got a little bit of an estate or a lot of an estate, and they have a will. Or the will's not entirely clear. And the people, the children, the grandchildren, have a fight and get at odds, sometimes for years, sometimes for decades, over the money of their parents' estates. Listen, if money separates a family at the death of a loved one, it will certainly take you away from a God you can't right now see with your eyes. Do you understand that? There's nothing wrong with money. It's just, in and of itself, the pursuit of it, the love of it, can take you away from God's agenda. It can become a competitor in your life for God's place in your life. Jesus said it this way, you cannot serve both God and money because if you think it's first in priority, you will worry about it most in reality. Jesus says this in Matthew chapter 6. He says, listen, the people who don't know God, the pagans, they worry about what they're going to eat and what they're going to drink and what they're going to wear. They worry about all those things, but your heavenly Father knows that you need them. And so he says in Matthew chapter 6, verse 33, I think we can put it on the screen for you. Uh, do we have that on the screen? There we go. Keep going. There we go. Read, the, read that with me. Ready? But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. In other words, the pursuit of it overtakes my focus so that I lose focus on what God is pursuing. My agenda becomes the pursuit of money. And I ignore God's agenda. Now the second excuse is uh, a man says, well, I just bought five yoke of oxen and I'm on my way to try them out. Please excuse me. Now this is, in, in a similar way, this is the capacity to build wealth. We don't really use oxen. I, 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 took, I got a picture of what might be a modern day ox, a giant piece of machinery that works the land in some way. And if you had this piece of machinery and you owned it, you'd want to make sure it's in good working condition and you'd want to maintain it. You'd want to hire people who know how to operate it and people who know how to repair it. And you want to make sure that it's actually making money for you. And it, it would take up a lot of your time to make sure that a piece of machinery like this would work. And this is what the person was doing. They were, wor they were thinking about this first and so they were worrying about this most. So they said, I can't come. And then the next excuse is another one. So, well, I just got married, so I can't come. And this is just about the day-to-day -day of life. It's just the experiences of life that we want to have. Princess, Prince Harry and Meghan. Ah, a royal wedding. I mean, we're so excited about this. Now, these seem like ordinary, everyday things. I told you, you'd hear about these things, and you'd go, lighten up, Jesus. What is the deal? I again, it's operating at a core level in your life. Whatever you think about first determines what you worry about the most always operating and so the servant goes back to the master and says listen they're not coming and the master is angry and he tells him he says go out and compel them to come in go to the streets and the alleys because my house will be full and the people who thought they were in are now out because they refused now who is the servant so if the certain man is god the father the first person of the trinity who is the servant in the parable the servant in the parable is Jesus, the second person of the Trinity, God the Son. And it's, Jesus is summarizing his own ministry. What he did is he went out to the streets and the lanes and the alleys 
and the roads, and he found the forgotten people in the forgotten places, and he compelled them to come into God's house because God's house would be full. Here's Jesus, who's the Savior of the world. This is his ministry, and he found you when you were on your road or your circle or your avenue or your street, and, and he said, I'm about God the Father, the first, persons of Trinity, the first person of the Trinity's business. That's what I'm about, and I'm about that for you. Now, I'm going to leave you with a lot of the tension of this parable because one of the, the principles that operates in a parable is the tension is what makes you think about it and go, now, wait, 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 wait. I want to suggest that there are a couple groups of people in the room and that there are different things that you need to do based on which group you fall into, and then there's one individual um, response to this that I'll give you as well. But here's, here's the first thing, and, and I didn't really, as I was preparing this message, wasn't really directing this at you so much, but it does apply to you because this is part of the message of what Jesus is saying. But for some of you, the time has come for you to stop putting God off. I mean, you come here, and this is nice. It makes you feel good. But God's not really a part of your daily life. Uh, you wave at Jesus on the weekends. Uh, religion's an accessory in your life. And really, you've got excuses. Uh, when I was, <laughs> a couple of years ago, I, I injured a, a, a disc in my back, and so I had to stop running. I stopped running, but I still like to eat. And when you stop running and you keep eating, uh, what happens is you have an expansion in an outward direction. <laughs> and I had an expansion in an outward direction to the tune of 35 or 40 pounds. And I was in the worst shape of my life. And I was miserable. And what I would do is I would sit on my couch at night and I would watch those infomercials that come on about health and fitness or some product you could buy. And I would look at that and I would go, yeah, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do that tomorrow. And then I'll, the next night I'd watch the same thing and I'd go, yeah, yeah, I'm going to do that. I'm, I'm doing that. And sometimes I would even put myself in the workout video and be like, well, I've done workouts like that. And I would just assume that was good enough. Like, I'm, I'm good. I watched them. Yeah, I, I felt better. We're all good, right? I was putting off my own health, thinking that I was doing it. What if this Christmas, this was the Christmas that you made room in the inn of your own life for the Jesus who came to find you in your forgotten place? And you didn't put off God anymore. God wasn't a word. God wasn't a nice idea. God was the reality of Jesus who meets you and wants you to follow him. Now, the second group is, is the rest of you who you say, you know, I'm a follower of Jesus. And this is what you need to do with this is you need to learn to make God's agenda your agenda. God's agenda is that there would be a full house and so that you would make your life about compelling people to come in and be a part of God's kingdom of God's house and that you would share your faith and you would invite your friends and you would have them over and then you would take those things those excuses that people made and you would use your business and you would use your ox and you would use your marriage to reach people and you would make that the agenda of your life do you understand that you would worry about that first and let God take care of the rest of that Saturday nights I always finish my sermon, I prepare throughout the week, and then I always wrap it up on Saturday night so that it's the last thing that I think about before I go to sleep, and then it's the first thing I think about when I wake up in the morning. I was doing that last night, and my dog was laying uh, on the floor, and it was, 
uh, a, a, a nice comforting time for my dog. And she had that thing where the, you know, the dog stretches itself out and then the leg kind of, you know, like that. And her eye, I saw her eyes kind of slowly shutting. And I knew she was comfortable. And I, I said her name and she got up, Brinkley, come over here. And she got up, wagged her tail, came over. And I looked at her, maybe, maybe I'm the only person who does this, but I took her face and I looked at her in the eyes. Maybe, maybe you do that with your dog. <laughs> maybe it's just me, I don't know. I called her and I realized that she was discomforting herself to respond to her master. Because if it had been me, and that was me laying there, I'd be like, I'm too comfortable. Could you come back in a few minutes? I don't want to get up and come do what you want. And I looked at her, and I, I took her in the face, and I said something. I didn't really realize what I was saying when I said it, but it, it'll preach. And this is what I said to her. I said, you're willing to inconvenience yourself for what your master wants, aren't you? And I, I had an epiphany. I realized sometimes my dog has greater faith than me. And what if all of us who said we follow Jesus, we became like my dog? And we were willing to discomfort ourselves for the sake of what our master calls us to do. And we said, you know what? My life has a new agenda. I don't know if I use a Palm Pilot. I don't use a yellow notepad. I don't know if I put a note on my phone. It doesn't matter how I organize my life. But my agenda that I'm about is compelling people to come in so that God's house would be full. What if you did that? Now, the third uh, person is, uh, is an individual on our staff, and I'm going to invite Rich Evans to come up and his wife, Missy. Yeah. We're going to sit here at this table. Thank you. And we're setting up this other table here um, because this is uh, thrilling for me to tell you, and it's also very sad for me to tell you um, because we're setting another table to signify that Rich is going to be, uh, in a month or so, a little more than a month, going, and Missy are going to be leaving us to lead another church uh, as a lead pastor in Monroe, Michigan, which is a few hours away from here. And we didn't plan it this way. It wasn't like, let's have a table thing and then do that. It's just kind of this, all the timing of this all worked out. I love the Holy Spirit in that way. Uh, but I'm really thrilled because uh, Rich and I have been talking for a, a long time now about his place and what he's going to do. We just have had this ongoing conversation. I have such high respect for him and such belief in him and confidence in him as a leader. And uh, I'll let him tell his own story. But, um, but they're going to be going and helping another local church set the table for the people that God loves in that town. And they're called to do that, and I'm thrilled, yeah. Yeah. So, uh, for, for people who don't know Rich, so you've been here a really long time, right? This was uh, my grandma's church, my family church. Um, I, re I was here in 1971. I don't remember that far back. Uh, but my dad was holding me in his arms, and, and I saw it in a picture that Bob had showed me. But I really wasn't raised in the church, per se. And in 2002, I came back to this church, my family church, as a broken single dad looking for, uh, looking for healing. And uh, when I walked in the door, uh, I just knew I was home. And uh, it was a, a youth pastor came to me um, 
and said to me, he said, hey, how would you like to come help out with junior high students? And I went, Psh, uh, they're not going to like me. How could, well, I mean, how could I possibly help them? And maybe you ask yourself that same question. And it was the one night of the week that I did not have my boys. So God gave me a whole bunch of new kids to love on. And then another pastor came on board. He had left a youth pastor. Then another youth pastor came on board. And uh, I mentored under him. And then he got called to set a table at another church. And I stepped into, during an interim period, I stepped into the student ministry pastor's role full-time and uh, just continued to be obedient to God's moving in, in our lives. We, we did this together. Yeah, and it wasn't long after you got here that you met this lady right over here? Uh, I'll be honest with you. I really wanted nothing to do with the opposite sex when I got here. I was really broken and hurt. And uh, I used this analogy that uh, if you're a guy in here, maybe you've done this, maybe you understand what I'm talking about. She was doing lights up there, and she came down the center aisle one day. I'd never seen her before, and I did what I call a double take. I went, who's that? And then the, uh, yeah, and the rest is history. The rest is history. And Missy, you've been here for 30 years. 30 years, 30 years. yeah, long, long time. So, and your kids are, kids are here grandkids are here. Our whole entire family. So this our, is like a big deal. Yeah, our, our whole entire family is, uh, I grew up in Northwest Indiana. I graduated yeah. from Hobart. They're all here. Yeah. And this is a, this is, this is, and I will say this, outside of her, her and I choosing to, to wed each other, this is the biggest decision that we've made in our marriage other than being called of God to do ministry. Mm -hmm. So tell, tell her, just walk everybody through just kind of the timeline of you realizing, man, I need you because this wasn't your plan. But you just, just kind of came to you. Just walk everybody through that. Um, well, we're, a, we're part of a denomination, uh, the Nazarene denomination, and, and we have a district superintendent who oversees uh, an area of churches you know, that we're part of. And I got an email about two years ago out of the clear blue, and it said, hey, would you and Missy consider stepping into a role of a lead pastorate? And um, I, I prayed with her. We, we, we ventured into that, that interview process and everything, walked away, nothing came of it. But a seed was planted. And always looking for where God's moving was really, really important to us. And it was back in March where we were supposed to go to New Orleans together. And she canceled the trip. I decided to go to, to Kansas City to a, a Nazarene youth conference. And it was about doing the very things that God had taught us and equipped us to do here mm -hmm. in our student ministries, um, how to grow a church young with students. And during that conference... You know, when you go to a conference, they, you walk out going, man, I really need to work on that. We need to do this. We need to do that. This was different because we were really doing a lot of things that they were talking about, and we were really being successful, and God was really gracefully honoring us. And I had a time of reflection while I was there, and God said to me in a nudge, he said, what if I opened a door for you to to do this at another church and to build that church around this very vision that, that I've compelled you to. And you were the leader to do it. And, and you and Missy went. And I came back from the conference, and I would never suggest you that you leave here tomorrow and go to work and do this, okay? Um, because I know Scott, because ever since Scott came on, Scott has believed in me, supported me, lifted me up. Um, I said to him, I said, we need to talk. And he said, okay. I said, we went up to the kids' area, and I said, Scott, I really feel that my time at real life is coming to an end. 
I feel God's moving us in a different direction. And Scott assured me in that moment. He says, I, I really want to process where the Holy Spirit's moving. And I believe in you. And if this is what God wants you to do, let's figure out what it looks like. First, I want you to know that I want you here. I want you on staff, and I value you tremendously. And he said, but do me a favor. Take 30 days, pray about it, and then let's continue the conversation. And that's exactly what we did. Over the summer, things heated up a little bit more, ramped up, uh, got in contact with a couple other district superintendents, and we got in contact with the one from Michigan. And uh, I pulled Scott aside, and we, we'd have breakfast once a week, and I said, Scott, here's where the Lord's moving. I'm always looking for his insight. He's been there down a path that I haven't gone on. And, you know, once again, I, I'm a bridge builder, and he is too, and we understand that this is how God works when you're called of ministry to do this. Mm -hmm. So... Um, we went and visited the church about a little less than a month ago, and we, <laughs> we basically said, find all the reasons why we should not leave real life. Mm. And we walked away. We felt as, as if we had always been at this church. Mm. And then they extended the offer a couple weeks back and asked us to come. We prayed about it and uh, had breakfast with Scott and said, hey, uh, Scott. <laughs> and Scott goes, I know. I can see it in your eyes. Yeah. So this is a... Uh, for, for me, this is a, I have a couple of emotions that go through me. One, I'm thrilled because I believe in Rich. And I'm very excited for him. I've seen him grow as a leader in, in massive ways since I've been here. And he's, he's made a massive investment in many of your lives. And so uh, I'm thrilled and I'm sad at the same time. I'm sad for us. Uh, but I look at it this way. I, this is not an ending. This is ascending. When you have a family, we're a family. Families, their kids grow and, we send, and you send your kids. And you say, go take on the world. And we're sending, we're not, we're not losing, we're sending Rich and Missy to do in another place what we're working to do here with the power of the Holy Spirit. So I'm, I'm thrilled for you. I believe in you. And I'm so glad we're friends and we'll stay friends. And uh, that means a lot to me. Missy, yeah. the same. Stop crying. Um, and uh, <laughs> we're, we're excited. Um, we're really, really excited. Yeah. And, and I'm, I'm, I'm going to take a moment and just tell you, I walked in this building and sat in that chair just like you and had no idea yeah. what God was going to do in my life, in our lives. And, and I want to challenge you because um, we're all about this, mm -hmm. empowering and building leaders to hand off to. Mm -hmm. So if you're sitting there wondering about what's next with our kids and student and family ministry, mm -hmm. we have a transition plan. Yeah, so Rich is going to be here. Uh, Rich and Missy will be here through January the 14th. January the 14th will be the last Sunday. We're going to have a big party for them. Um, you can write them notes, give them hugs, uh, kick them. Kleenex. Uh, all, all those <laughs> yeah, right. I mean that in a good way. Um, and uh, December 31st, Rich will preach a message on New Year's Eve, so I want you to be here for that as well. But they'll be here to help us transition. And then Kathy Patterson, who is a school teacher, and she's been a part-time elementary director, she's going to step in in the interim and be our kids' pastor. That's already, all the wheels are already in place for that. We've been talking, what's great about our relationship is it's just been, okay, how do we make this seamless? How do we make this work so we don't we don't drop a beat? And can't and can't listen. Uh, Kathy's amazing, and you know that. Mm -hmm. Kathy's amazing. God has God has this all figured out and got it all planned out, and it's going to be an easy transition. Your kids are going to continue to be loved on yeah. and cared for, and 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 taught. Yeah. And um, you made me lose my train of thought, but that's okay. Uh, so we're just we're just thrilled for them. And so could we just take a minute? And could we? I'm going to say, one, say one, one more thing. thing. One thing. Okay. I love this church. This is, my, this is my family church, and I'm thankful for it because it helped grow me, 
equip me, and now you're sending us. Thank you. So can we congratulate them? We always leave you with a blessing. You're already standing, so you'll see people around you holding out their hands. That's their way of saying, I'd like to receive that. If you're ready to receive that blessing, uh, hold your hands out like that and receive this blessing. May you know uh, the God who found you in your forgotten place, gave you a seat at his table, and now gives you a new agenda. Be part of his agenda, making his house full. You're sitting out of love, God, to love people, to serve the world in his name. Hug somebody, tell them you love them. See you next week. <laughs>